really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. This is obviously part two of this week's weekly episode. There was just too much rugby to squeeze into a single episode. I'm still working out how to handle the massive glut of games coming our way over the next couple months. So in the meantime, bear with me and enjoy part two. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you know what? I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So let's get stuck in for the second half. So continuing on with our reviews, I'm very excited because it's time once again to go back to Super Rugby Pacific, where right off the bat, I got taught a powerful lesson. Most of my feeds on Twitter center around the various European competitions, and I hardly ever see anything about Super Rugby. So I've kind of been in the habit of waiting until Friday afternoon, you know, where I live at least, to avoid looking at Twitter for fear of spoilers. So it was a bit of a wake-up call when early Friday morning, I took a quick peek and immediately saw a Welsh writer that I I like giving away the result of Crusaders versus Chiefs. What was that all about? You know, with a single glance, 25% of the games I intended to watch were spoiled. So uh, anyway, lesson learned. I will definitely be off the socials starting at the end of Thursday nights from now on. Just letting you know in case you're wondering why I don't respond to something. Anywho, as I said, the new season got off to a roaring start with last year's champions, Crusaders, taking on a scrappy Chiefs team in Christchurch somehow. The reigning champs managed just 10 points the whole way. The uh, fewest points ever scored under Razor Robertson. Robertson, right? Robinson? Robertson. Um, Coughing up their home opener to the heavy underdog Chiefs, 10 to 31. What a bizarre start to the new year. Anyone believe in omens? No, not so much. Anyway, Waratahs versus Brumbies was up next. I have to start by saying how much I appreciate All the extra efforts they're putting into growing this competition this year, particularly in Australia, where it's kind of been on life support for quite some time now. Waratahs are back at their newly refurbished Allianz Stadium, and the pre-show, the lead-up, all the good things they're doing on the ground to get butts back in those seats has been fantastic. With the arrival of Eddie Jones and the looming shadow of the 2027 Rugby World Cup, they're really going all out to get Rugby Union in Australia back to its rightful place, in my opinion, in terms of popularity. Great job, everyone. I am totally here for it. So there was, of course, also a game. Man, oh, man, this league, it's so fast-paced. You know, for, for any stats nerds listening, I know I asked this last year, and um, and maybe one of you knows this time around because nobody did last year. In Super Rugby, they tend to play from much further back in their own territory than they do in the Northern Hemisphere, and they, at least according to my personal eye test, tend to play a lot more phases before even considering kicking. So if you look at a team like, I don't know, Sail Sharks, what is their average number of phases before kicking it away? Three? Four? Maybe less. Uh, I would love, love, love to see a side-by-side comparison of average phases played per possession in the Prem and in Super Rugby. Um, If you look at Super Rugby, top 14, URC and the Prem, 
that has to be the reverse order of that kind of average, right? I'm dying to know this, but I've been wholly unsuccessful in getting any solid numbers to look at. So if you have any insights at all, get in touch, please. Anyway, as I wrote this, it was Brumbies getting the first score of the day, Lonigan smashing through for a try after 11 phases of play. Thank you for highlighting my little theory. So if you're at a bar or a pub and someone asks you who the first player was to successfully execute a 50-22, well, that man was sitting on the bench for Brumbies in this one. Mr. Nick White being the answer to that particular trivia question, despite the fact that the rule first debuted in this very competition, the comms still com seem completely baffled and shocked by it every single time. Brumbies got a gorgeous one deep in Taz territory, and it was like they had performed a magic trick for the commentators. Is that? Is? Oh my God, yes! It, it's a 50-22! It's a 50-22! Yeah, yeah, guys, we know. Chill, will ya? Anyway, Max Jorgensen, just 18 years young, tied things up for the home team. We had an exciting match on our hands. Meanwhile, Eddie Jones was looking oddly cheery up in the coach's box, and when they put him on the big screen, the place went nuts. Good to feel that kind of energy he's bringing to Australian rugby in general. It definitely feels like a new era. So close to the break, Taz just kind of fell asleep chatting with a ref after a brief stoppage, and it was Muirhead collecting the easiest try of his career. As a result, the fans, a bit stunned and annoyed while the comms howled with laughter, not a great moment. That would be the difference at halftime. Brumbies leading 10 to 15. Speaking of Nick White, he came on then to earn his 100th appearance in Super Rugby. What a player. I love that guy. Oh, plus, in case you missed it, just a few months ago, I managed to teach my son to sort of pull up his shorts and do a mustache twisting gesture as he says, Hello, I'm Nick White. I play for the Wallabies, which I have to assume concludes my responsibility as a dad. Oh, that's also when they brought in Nemanja Nadolo, formerly of Leicester Tigers, among other clubs. What an addition he is. Big fan of his. Here's hoping he can help the Taz find a new level this year. He is so much fun to watch. In any event, every time it looked like the Brumbies might run away with it, Wartaz would hit back. Really fun way to kick off the new year, but Lola Cio kicked the visitors outside losing bonus point range, and it felt like that might be it. Wartaz, however, never say die and fought and scrapped to close that gap, ultimately taking a single point for their efforts, though clearly disappointed to drop their home opener after all the lead up. Final score, 25 to 31. Nice start. So Moana Pacifica versus Fijian Drua was next. And uh, before before even eight minutes had gone by, both props for Moana had scored and things looked a little ominous for the Drua. Um, however, things picked up. I realized eventually it was anyone's game. It really started to become very fun, in fact, really back and forth and just super high energy. We were all tied up at 33 minutes. Quote, this match is turning into everything we hoped it would be, unquote, said the comms. And proving them right, it was 31 all entering the final quarter of play. It all came down to the final moments. And this time, whew, it was the Drua pulling up a wee bit of magic there, sneaking one for their first game of the season. 34 to 36 at the end in a ringer of a contest. Auspicious start for the new season for sure. And then, oh God, Highlanders versus Blues was next. And despite the enthusiastic scene, uh, scenes at the top of the broadcast, it was hard for me to see my Landers coming through against a team like the Blues. Uh, the teams traded penalty kicks before Talea dotted down the first try of the night, booze raining down from the faithful on hand. I anticipate a lot of that this year, if I'm honest. Side note, Aaron Smith wasn't available for this one, but they never told us why. They mentioned that he's not there like three times, and they never said, because, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, is he apartment hunting in Japan, perhaps? 
Uh, it was nice to see Fakatava and Hunt back healthy and Ethan Groot. Oh man, oh man, is he something special? So you know, this year there at least there will probably at least be many highlights, if not a ton of victories. So then it was the Blues just slicing and dicing their way through the home team, eventually scooping one to Bowden Baird, who scored his 39th career try, or so they said. Doesn't that seem really low? Is that just with the Blues, maybe? Anyway, within about a minute, it was Barrett again, this time with one of his signature crossfield kicks, bopping and rolling perfectly into the hands of Caleb Clark, getting his first try of the year as well, and the route was on. Amidst the sea of Highlanders jerseys on hand was a dude wearing a Def Leppard shirt, so that was fun. But that might have been the last enjoyable thing for the day, for me at least, in Dunedin, as Rico Ioane was next to get a score. What a freaking roster. It's basically an all-black squad, this Blues team. Oh, Freddie Burns sighting. That's right. The former Lester Stalwart got his first appearance off the bench. But unless he was hiding a red cape under that uniform, I did not think it was going to change things too much. Uh, in fact, my Highlanders couldn't scavenge even a single point before full-time while the Blues went through their training paces, basically getting a massive statement win to open their account for the new year, destroying their hosts with a triple up 20 to 60. Yikes. Bowden Barrett outscoring his entire opposition with 25 of his own points. Yikes. So as you all know, I'm very much looking forward to this new season. And now I'm feeling pretty crestfallen. Just a terrible start for my first ever team. Um, and by the way, the reward for getting obliterated this weekend will be to go face an angry Crusaders team next week. Just a filthy way to start the new year. Oh my gosh. So Reds versus Hurricanes was next on the docket, but sadly, there was no audio for this one. It, it kind of sounded like someone had stuck a mic in their pocket and then just walked away. Just random, super loud scratching sounds coming up occasionally. So fast forward to the end. It was Hurricanes all the way 13 to 47 in a thorough beatdown. <laughs> As I'm saying this right now, it suddenly occurs to me, 13 plus 47, why, that's 60. That's how many points the Blues scored on their own. Anyway, right at the end, Jordy Barrett, I saw him limping off there at the end. I hope that was just a dinger for him. Uh, anyway, finally, it was Western Force facing off against the Rebels. Side note, one of the great things about this competition where I live is every one of these games were completed and ready for replay literally before the first Six Nations match on Saturday. In any case, Force spent most of their time looking overmatched, but in the second half, after a yellow card to the Rebels, they found a bit of a spark. Suddenly, it was 20-24 to 24 after about 50 minutes. And then with a quarter hour to go, they took their first lead. But their guests did tie things up shortly thereafter. What a great match this one turned into. Down 34 to 27, Rebels had a final shot, but knocked it on deep in their own territory, effectively coughing up the contest. It was Western Force winning their home opener for the first time since 2015. Great start to the new season in general, but, you know, ominous signs from the men from Melbourne. So here's a bit of a surprise for you. The other action in New Zealand this weekend was, of course, the return of Super Rugby Alpiki, which is the sister league to Super Rugby in the Aotearoa. It's a small competition and a very short season, so I'm going to make a point of watching much more over the next couple of weeks. There's just four teams. They only play three rounds, and as this is the case with Super Rugby, it's available to watch on flow when they bother to put a sound on. Um, so this weekend, the Hurricanes pool lost heavily at home to Chiefs Manawa 21-53 uh, by the end in a match played at the Levin Domain, a combination cricket and rugby ground in Manawatu. Then Matatu just squeaked out a two-point win over the Blues women 33-31 at the Forsyth Bar. So to wrap it up better than I could, I found a quick little piece recapping this first weekend of the new year, which naturally I've also linked in the show notes. So, quote, 
The road to Super Rugby Alpiki title will literally go through Hamilton this year with FMG Stadium Waikato hosting the grand final on March 25th. But it looks like it will go there metaphorically as well on the evidence of the two matches in this weekend's opening round. Defending champions Chiefs Manawa made the loudest statement of the four competing teams on Saturday, scoring 48 unanswered points in their 53-21 win over Hurricanes Pua. A strong crowd greeted the two teams at Levin Domain for the first major women's rugby match played in New Zealand since last year's Rugby World Cup final on November 12th. Woo, what a day that was. So the Chiefs no longer have the seven stars who helped them win the inaugural Opiki uh, crown last March and who helped the Black Ferns beat England last November, but they appeared undaunted by their need to reinvent themselves. Matatu, meanwhile, began their campaign by registering their first win, 33-31 over the Blues, though they needed a last-minute conversion miss by Black Ferns co-captain Ruahe Demont, uh to avoid being taken to the golden point extra time. The South Islanders led the Blues 33-14, five minutes into the second half at Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin, but conceded three tries and scored none in the final 35 minutes as the Aucklanders came home with a wet sail. If Chiefs Manawa and Matatu both win again next weekend, it'll set up a blockbuster encounter between two unbeaten teams at FMG Stadium Waikato the following weekend. But both the Blues and Hurricanes Pua will have something to say about that prospect after showing some promising signs themselves, despite eventually being consigned to losses. Would you have believed that there was even more rugby this weekend? Holy cow. Okay, swinging all the way back to the URC, and this weekend it was what I've dubbed the E. coli Cup to finish bringing the table back to some semblance of normal, the last two makeup games from much earlier this year. So we began with Sharks hosting a stumbling Ulster team, and it was the home side scoring first and quickly. Ulster, my word, what has happened to you? Side note, after 20 minutes, the ref called for a cooling break because of the heat, he said, though on screen it just said water break, as per usual. Interesting. So naturally, as I was busy writing that, Ulster were busy fighting their way back into it, and they took a lead after 25 minutes in a hard-fought affair. By the way, Wayne Vermeulen has been really good for Ulster in the, like, you know, five appearances he's made. I also thought he was really good in Gladiator, though I still question his being cast in Les Miserables. Very strange choice. Another side note, um, there was a lovely contingency of Ulster supporters on hand. Faces painted, clearly enjoying more sunshine than they'd encountered in, I don't know, I guess like 47 months. So Ulster slowly took control in this one. It was a bit of an out-of-nowhere performance, and they were up double 12-24 to after only three quarters of an hour. Kerwin Bosch fell victim to the hurried kicking rules and rushed an easy one and missed it. I gotta say again, I love the so-called shot clock. It's reaping rewards. I hadn't even thought about it. It's kind of cool. So Ulster's defense was pretty remarkable, deflecting and sometimes just outfoxing their hosts, who grew a little desperate late in the game. Yet another side note, just as I was becoming infuriated by Sweet Caroline ringing out once again, the comm said, Ah yes, the inevitable, Sweet Caroline, coming to a stadium near you soon, which made me feel a little better. Anywho, Bosch was just not himself off the tee this time, missing another gimme with 10 minutes to go, and I mean, it was over. Ulster, prevailing away 24-31 to 31 in South Africa, really fun one. And then, of course, it was Glasgow on a red-hot 10-game winning streak coming down to visit the Lions. The Lions, who had played three previous matches against Scottish opponents, beating Edinburgh twice but losing 13-9 at Scotson. 
in October of 2021. How's that for a rando stat for you? So the home side looked keen to reverse that trend going up four tries to one at the break. Warriors had their work cut out for them. Ultimately, they clawed their way back a, a bit and found themselves down eight heading into the final quarter hour. Could they keep that streak alive? After going down to 14 players, first via a yellow and then by a red, Lions were still too clinical for their guests, prevailing 34 to 20, uh, 35 to 24, snapping the oh-so-hot run for Franco Smith's charges, and thankfully bringing an end to the need for makeup fixtures in the URC. So, we've been avoiding checking in with the lead table because of the uh, unequal number of games played, but today, we finally drew level. So, looking at the current state of affairs... We still have our polar opposites with unbeaten Leinster on top and winless Zebra at the very bottom, but the stories in between are really quite interesting. As you likely know, in the URC, it's the top eight teams that qualify for what they call the final series stage, i.e. the playoffs. Um, Leinster dropping out of that eight is inconceivable, if not completely mathematically impossible, but the eight through 11 slots especially still look very much up for grabs. So below Leinster are the reigning champs, the DHL, uh, DHL Stormers, the only other team to have 10 wins under the belt and sitting on 54 points. The 40s club is five strong at the moment, with Ulster still somehow in third. That's baffling to me. Gla- uh, Glasgow in fourth, Munster in fifth, the Bulls in sixth, and Sharks in seventh with 49-42, uh, sorry, 49-44, 42-41, and 40 points respectively. So close. Then there's the four-team huddle of 30-something uh You've got Connacht, Cardiff, Benetton, and Edinburgh on 35, 34, 34, and 31. If you tell me that you called Benetton being in 10th and ahead of teams like Edinburgh and the Lions, I'm sorry, I simply wouldn't believe you. So after that, it's Lions, Ospreys, Scarlets, Dragons, Dragons with three more, uh, three wins more than Cellar Dwellers, Zebra. The big if for me right now is Edinburgh, as their coach just quit, which usually presages either total meltdown or a massive resurgence. I'm very curious to see which way that one goes. So back in the United States, it was week two of Major League Rugby. Chicago and D.C. were on very early bye weeks this week, so neither of them would be showing up. But Friday featured Atlanta versus Seattle, which means it started at 1030 at night where I am. And that means check the score in the morning to me. In my sleep, I was rooting for the Seawolves, and that is how it went down. Seattle winning again in a close one, 28-22 over the rebranded Rattlers. Utah versus Dallas was next. The Jackals lost their second straight, Warriors winning 33-25. A lot of people foresee big things for Utah this year, and this may have been our first glance at some of that potential. Meanwhile, my my little Dallas are going to be pretty good this year prediction is looking dumber by the day. Uh, Houston versus NOLA was our next offering, and once again, the Thundercats are looking strong, dropping 30 point, uh, 35 points on a reeling NOLA team who managed just the two converted tries on the day. I, for one, am enjoying their rocky start. I think when Dougie Fife left us to join them, that pretty much made me permanently dislike them. Uh, 35 to 14 was your total. Sunday brought us the New Jersey IT pair professionals hosting Toronto, and wow, what a difference. A week made for the for the Jersey folks, just utterly pasting the hapless arrows. Really hard to see things turning around for them, even this early on. The final score, a whopping 39-3. to And finally, it was San Diego hosting my beloved Free Jacks. And sadly, the Legion were too much for us on this weekend. Uh, I'm possibly most concerned that we only managed 12 points. As it, uh, I mean, it felt like 
even when we do lose games this year, it would likely be in high-scoring affairs where we just kind of got out-dueled, but this one did not feel that way. It was weird, too, on the stat side of things. So San Diego got yellow-carded, conceded 15 penalties throughout the contest. They had to make almost literally twice as many tackles as we did. All the numbers generally pointed in our favor, except for the crucial four tries to two stat, along with the we-didn't-even-attempt-a-penalty-kick factor. I don't think I've ever seen a game where one of the teams didn't have even one crack at the posts. I mean, maybe back when the All Blacks smashed my Eagles by 95 points in D.C. I think San Diego San Diego can be very, very good this year, so I'm certainly not hitting the panic button. Um, we do have a week off before we open up Fort Quincy against the perpetually underwhelming D.C. side. When I recently spoke with assistant coach Mike Rogers, he specifically said it's going to take us a bit to find our form this year, especially given the huge turnover in terms of players. Keep in mind, on opening day, 10 of our 15 starters were brand new faces. So let's let's all take a breath and chill while we prepare for March 11th. Also, we got a big old snowstorm that's actually still coming down right now. So chilling would be pretty easy after a trip to Southern California. Final score of the Snapdragon, which might be the best name for an arena like anywhere. San Diego, 29. Free Jacks, 12. Well, my friends, by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to... Max Jorgensen. That's right. We don't typically give this award to players who are on the losing end of a fixture, but your performance for the Waratahs was just too good to pass up in front of 25,000 plus fans. The first crowd over 20,000 at Allianz in more than seven years. You, at just 18 years of age, put on a show, giving us glimpses of a true superstar in the making. Even Sonny Bill Williams, trying to still trying to sort of figure out where his brand of commentary is going to fit into the sidelines, told us all to sit up and take notice of this youngster on debut. Um, your two-try performance, along with numerous moments of a spectacular skill on both sides of the ball, have well earned you this, the highest of accolades on a very busy rugby weekend. Max Jorgensen, rising star of Australian rugby, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, my friend. So that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. And as you know, there is still a butt-ton of rugby to behold this coming weekend, even with what they commonly call a fallow week for Six Nations. (laughs) Once again, not sure why that cracks me up, but it does. So, week two in Super Rugby Pacific gets the weekend started. As I've mentioned before, having a competition that's 12 or 13 hours ahead of the other things I want to watch, it's so sweet. So for this week, Friday at 2 a.m. where I live, my poor Highlanders are signed up for a good old-fashioned beatdown at, at, uh, at the hands of Crusaders. I mean, starting these against the Blues and the Crusaders, that qualifies as cruel and unusual, doesn't it? Anyway, then it's the Melbourne Rebels to face the Hurricanes, followed by Moana Pacifica taking on the Chiefs. Then we'll have Fijian Drua as nominative hosts for the Waratahs, Blues versus the Brumbies, and finally, Western Force looking for two in a row to start the new season, facing the Reds. In case you didn't know, this is the weekend they call the Super Round, where every single match will be played in Melbourne at the AAMI Park, right in a row. I can't even imagine the festival feeling for a weekend like this. So good. I wish I was there. 
back here in the States for Major League Rugby. It's already week three, and as I mentioned, my beloved Free Jacks will all be busy shoveling and hoping that the power doesn't go out. But for the weekend's action, it'll be Dallas, please, Lord, let us win a game, Jackals, at home at Choctaw Stadium in Arlington to face the visiting Seawolves of Seattle. A little frightening, that one. Next, Rugby ATL are back at the Gorilla Cage to face the Fool's Gold that is NOLA, followed by Chicago versus Utah. Then the New Jersey Administrative Office Temps versus the Ancient Glory DC. After that, it's the game of the week with the Houston Thunder Kitties hosting the San Diego Legion. That one should really give us some early insights into where the league is headed this year. Really tasty matchup, that one. Oh, lest you forget, we also have several full dockets in the mostly European leagues, starting with the Premiership. We'll have a 1-3-1 split over the weekend days. Friday, featuring Bristol Bears taking on the Northampton Saints. Saturday, we'll uh, feature Leicester versus Bath. Harlequins blessedly at home for Exeter, so I may be able to stomach watching that one for a change. Then, Newcastle Falcons versus London Irish. And to finish off round 19, it could be a great one. Sail Sharks back at Printerland for the rampaging Saracens. Lovely lineup of matches this week in the Prem. So, in the top 14... I guess I've learned that unless something big comes up, it's always the same schedule, the same six on Saturday and one on Sunday format we've seen almost every week. And this time around, so for round 20, wow, 20 of 26, the end of the season felt so far away for so long, and now it's just a couple months away. Weird. Anyway, we'll get started with Montpellier versus Claremont in the early slot. Then the four happening simultaneously are Perpignan versus Bayonne. Poe versus La Rochelle, Cast versus Lyon, and Brieve versus Bordeaux Begla. The late game's a nice one. Toulon versus Stade Francais. And finally, on Sunday, an absolute cracker, depending on who's being released back to which team. But it's Racing hosting Toulouse. I'm very keen to see that one, you know, whether it's full of internationals or not. But both these teams have so much depth. I just, I also want to see what they can do without all those players as well. So anyway, um, Anyway, in the URC, we kick off a full weekend with the Glasgow Warriors back at Scotson to, to face winless Zebra, along with Munster hosting Scarlets. Uh, Munster with lots of momentum these days, and R.G. Snyman allegedly coming back for this one. Could be cool. Uh, Saturday starts with a couple more South African derbies. The second-place Stormers welcoming seventh-place Sharks, as well as the Bulls facing the Lions at Loftus. Back up north, Edinburgh are home to let's face it, very likely get trounced by an unbeaten Leinster team and we will end round 15 with three Welsh home games, Ospreys versus Benetton, Dragons versus Connacht, and Cardiff versus Ulster. Very curious about that last one. I'm not even entirely sure why. I just I have a feeling about it, I guess. Oh, and of course, the Sevens come right back to us again as well, heading up north to Vancouver, finally back with both men's and women's events, thankfully. Phew. Wow, folks. That is a lot of rugby. We're definitely going to change things up again a little bit next week. Um, please stay on the lookout for updates, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Parts one and two in this case. I, I got to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out how to best deal with the sheer volume of games we've got on the immediate horizon. I will extend the request once more. Please, if you have thoughts about how to best deal with the overwhelming amount of fixtures on a given weekend these days, I would love to get your take. So just reach out in all the usual ways, please, and thank you. One other piece of very cool news. 
Last week, I sat down with Robbie Owen, a.k.a. uh, Squidge, along with friend of the pod, Will Owen, to record an episode of their Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast. We chatted about USA versus Tonga from from the uh, 2007 World Cup pool stages. It was a total blast. Really happy they asked me to join them. It was so much fun. That show is scheduled to be released on Friday, so give that a listen if you have some spare time. Hopefully, it'll be as much fun to listen to as it was to actually be there. So, also, if you still, still haven't left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your pods, please, please, just take a couple moments to do that. It's really been quite some time, over a year, in fact. So, anyway, I would really appreciate it. So, as always, thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.